My name is John Wenzel, and uh, I'd like to give a special welcome to any of the visitors this morning. I don't see any right off the bat here, but okay. Washington Community Church exists to give a creative and meaningful worship to our Lord our God, and also to discover and develop disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ. I have a couple of announcements. Um, Inside, north, and south exits over here are to be used for emergency exits only. There's alarms on them, and uh, they'd have to be shut off if you go out those doors. The TLC ministry is in need of many more donations to be able to assemble enough bags to help us, as many elderly people as we can in our community. Also, we have, uh, the survey says, barbecue lunch right after the second service, and the meeting will be following that. Now she's come forward. Praise you, Father God. God, again, we come to you to give you thanks for the day. Thanks for the beautiful location that we, we all get to enjoy here, Father, that you provided. Thank you again for blessing us uh, just abundantly. We lift up uh, Ash and Leanna San Filippo working at Treehouse Ministries in Minnesota. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to support them. We pray that they're healthy, that their minds are sound, that all the things that they come in contact with, just uh, all, the, all the kids are in need. And the kids, uh, we lift all them up to you, the kids that are meeting with the, the people at Treehouse up there in the Twin Cities. Father, we also lift with the Treehouse in our own community. We lift up all those uh, sons and daughters of ours that are that are going there and uh, seeking seeking the Lord, Father. Again, we thank you for blessing us. We ask that you bless our tithes and offerings, and may they be true worship to you, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. I am thankful to be back. I have a few announcements here uh, before I start. the The first one is always: if you didn't get a sheet and you want a sermon sheet. Um, just raise your hand and the ushers will bring one to you. It's just the, the words that will be on the, on the slides momentarily. Um, but I also want to uh, thank, and I know Scott Kingston is not here right now, but last Sunday he did our preaching for us, bringing God's word. And I just want to publicly say uh, thank you to Scott Kingston, one of our elders who, who did that. Um, also, we have a men's breakfast coming up on Saturday. And there's a sign-up sheet in the, in, on the welcome desk in the foyer. So if you haven't signed up, uh, sign up. It's a great way to start off the day. Um, but probably the biggest announcement, and the reason you all have these things on today, is because Stephanie's with me. So Stephanie, I'm going to ask her to come up. And um, <laughs> I've, asked, uh, I've asked Stephanie just to say a few words to you. Well, you can call me Steph if that's easier to remember. And I beg your patience with me as I try to learn your names. I'm praying about that and asking the Lord to give me divine help because I don't do well at learning names. So I'm going to work hard at that. I want to get to know each of you. I'm so thankful to be able to join Adam here at Washera and um, to make it possible. Um, I'm so thankful for each person that made it possible for us to have a comfortable place to live. And um, I know that each of you uh, have prayed for that, uh, for that provision, and um, we feel very much at home where we are in the great location that we're at. It's very convenient. And um, you may be wondering what I do as an interim pastor's wife, and I have two main areas where I feel called to serve the Lord. The first is that I support my husband through prayer and through health, healthful meals, through fellowship with him in Christ, and through serving him in partnership with him as needed. Um, and for regular haircuts, as you can tell. Um, and then secondly, I dedicate time in prayer. Now, I'm per not perfect at this. Some days I miss that dedicated time, and so I'm praying throughout the day in my heart. But I do try very diligently to dedicate time in prayer for the church and for the elders of the church, the staff, the ministry leaders, um, the congregants of the church, as I get to know your names, I'll write them down in my little prayer journal, and I will pray over your name each day. Um, and I do this because the important work that needs to be done here 
cannot happen unless God does a work in us first. So I would like to pray a couple verses of scripture over this church. So if you would join me, just bow your heads and let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. I pray, Lord, that our hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Lord, may you increase, cause us to increase and abound in love for one another and for everyone, so that you may lead us, lead us and establish our hearts blameless and holy before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen. Amen. Just a couple questions, Steph, to help me lead into this sermon, okay? Okay. Um, for question number one, have I ever frustrated you? <laughs> Define frustrated. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I would say yeah. Okay, second question. Uh, have there been times when, in your judgment, I have been less than a Christian husband? Yes. Okay. Last question. If I were going to ask you, what is, the, what is the primary relationship in your life? What is the primary relationship in your life? My primary relationship is with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Thanks. Yeah. I am so thankful for Stephanie. If, you know, uh, we've been married for 37 years now so and I've been preaching for 36 years so I've been her only pastor for 36 years you know if somebody was to get tired of me it would be her um, but we are in first Peter we're back in first Peter to chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 works we're gonna cover in first Peter he, he there's kind of like this um, there's this uh, little series that he has within the book and this little series he he's talking about be subject to. And so um, we've covered two of them. Today we're going to do part three and part four of the part five little series that he has in this book. Let me show those to you. We started in chapter two, verse 13, when he said, be subject to every human institution. And we talked about it being like an Oreo cookie. There's a wafer and then there's filling and then there's a wafer. And so the wafer on the top is is he's speaking to all of us, all of you, everyone, be subject to human institution. Then he gets to the filling part of it, and he, he picks out three specific groups. We looked at chapter 2, verse 18, that said, servants, be subject to your masters. And so we covered that one. Today, we're going to cover chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then we'll finish today with chapter 3, verse 7, that says, likewise, husbands. So this is all connected together to this whole topic about being subject to. And then next week, next week, we'll finish the Oreo, and we'll get to that bottom wafer when he says, chapter 3, verse 8, finally, all of you. He goes back to speaking to all of us about this subject that's there. So that's where we are with that. I want to do a little bit of a recap here because we've been walking through it and Stephanie's here so I can give this recap to her. But we started off this book looking at chapter one and we said its author is Peter. We said its audience is the first century Gentile Christians who are being persecuted, who are found in modern day Turkey. It is autographed around 62, 63 AD. So if you look at that figure, you're realizing it's about 30 years after Jesus has died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, coming again. He starts out in chapter one by saying, let's focus in on salvation. He tells these persecuted Christians, let's look at your salvation. And he brings up three different things. He said, God the Father planned it. He planned it so that we would be with him someday. And the theological term there is glorification. And then he tells us about Jesus. Jesus, the son, purchased it. He purchased it, it, that, it that we are able to be to him because of this purchase that he did on the cross. It's called justification. And then the Holy Spirit polishes it, polishes it, 
That's how we live by him. We live by him, and that's called sanctification, sanctification. So he went through this whole thing about how, explaining how great a salvation that we have, whereas our salvation is so great, therefore, therefore, then he gave them four commands. Three of these commands are more vertical. He said, first, set your hope fully on the grace, the grace that God has given to us. So that's, we're setting our, our focus on what he has given. So it's a vertical. Then he says, be holy in all your conduct. That sounds horizontal, but he says, be holy as I am holy. So again, it's vertical because where are we getting our standard for holiness? It's not coming from others. It's coming from him. Third command, he said, conduct yourselves with fear. Conduct yourselves with fear, meaning respect, meaning awe of our God. And again, that's a vertical. But then he gets to commandment number four, command number four, when he says, love one another earnestly or love one another fervently. Now that one goes horizontal. And actually that's the one he starts to dig a little deeper into as he goes on in chapter two. So chapter two recap, he says, okay, how do you love one another earnestly or fervently? First off, put away. And he tells us to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And then he says on the other side, he says, long for, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. Then he says, come to him, come to him, come to the one that is the living stone. And then he gives us these two groups. He identifies whoever believes in him, that's group number one, and who do they believe in? They believe the one that God has sent to put in Zion that the builders have rejected, but he's chosen and precious. That's who you believe in, that one. And then those who do not believe in him, those are the ones who have rejected him. I've talked about them as being group one and group two as we've went through this. He gives us, group one, those who believe in him, here's the first thing that we are to do. This is one of the, the, the things that are, is a mandate upon our lives, is that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is what is a mandate upon us who believe in him, that we would proclaim, that we would proclaim, that we would proclaim, the absences of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he goes back again. He says, okay, abstain from the passions of the flesh and keep your conduct, keep your conduct honorable. And we will see that all the way through the book of 1 Peter. He keeps going back to look at your conduct, look at your conduct, that they may see your good deeds or they may see your conduct and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the, this is the goal of it all, that he's telling these persecuted Christians that you have such a conduct, even in, even in persecution, that as people watch you being persecuted, how you live this out, that there would be some of them who are in group two who do not believe, would go to group one and believe, and believe. He starts off this filling was saying be subject to, uh, or the wafer, be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution. And we made a big deal about for the Lord's sake. This phrase or this concept runs all the way through this be subject area because what we are doing, the obedience we are doing is because he is the Lord. So anything I'm doing, he has the hierarchy and I am doing this because of who he is. So for the Lord's sake, every human institution. And we ended that time with, you know, how is your conduct, especially when you have to raise your hand? How's your conduct when you have to raise your hand? Because God gave us three different institutions. He created marriage, he created the church, and he created civil government. And any one of those three can get out of line with God. Any one of those three can get corrupt. And at times, you have to raise your hand and say, I object. You object to who? The judge, the one who has made all these institutions. But what Peter is saying is, as you raise your hand, how is your conduct? Your conduct is a reflection that your priorities for God, for God and others. It's a reflection of that. 
how I conduct myself, even in those persecuted times, will show if I truly do or striving to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. And then he ends that time with another Oreo construct. The, the wafer is honor. He says, honor everyone. Establish a value of everyone because everyone has value. They are a creation of God. Then he says, he, the filling of this is that you get to love the brotherhood. You get to be in a family of God. You get to have brothers and sisters in Christ. You get to, you get to have such a connection with these people that you will be with for eternity. You would get to fear God, that, that you have such a respect for him. Even he moves you. He moves you. And then finally, ending it again, that we honor the emperor, that we show a value to the systems that God has set up. The second one was servants be subject to your masters with all respect. Again, with all respects is the part where we, that word is the same as fear, we are only to fear God. So you could read this verse, servants, with, with all respect of God, be subject to masters. And he pointed out that some of these slaves that became Christians had masters that were good. I mean, in the sense of uh, they, were, they were moral. Uh, they, they, I, and again, I had that whole thing about slavery in America and slavery then and all that kind of stuff. But but they had some masters that were more amiable to them, but then there are other masters who weren't, other masters that were terrible to them. And so what does he do? He says, look to Jesus. Our example to follow is Jesus who entrusted himself to God in his time of suffering. So if you're in a time of suffering because of someone else, fix your eyes on Jesus. What did Jesus do in his suffering? What did he do? How did he conduct himself in his suffering? He continued to entrust himself, his life, into the hands of another, his heavenly father. And we kind of ended that with, will you rest in his strategy living in this hostile world? Will you rest in his strategy? Will you rest in looking at Jesus and saying, I'm going to pattern myself after him as I walk through this world? And so the last phrase in there, so that you might follow in his steps. The first thing that we are mandated to do is proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The second thing is, is that you follow in his steps. And sometimes we said that that's a, that's a stretch at times. You remember walking in your father's footprints and your father had a little longer gait than you did in the snow kind of thing. And you had to stretch. To, well, that's the same way with Jesus many times. The way that Jesus walks, you have to stretch to make it into those steps, but that's what we do. We follow in his steps. Okay, so let's go to our passage this morning. That's all catch up. Let's go to our passage this morning. It's, it's chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read it in its entirety first, and then we'll go back through it. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adornment be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as always, we thank you for your word. 
And we want to thank you for your word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to thank you for your word revealed to us through your Holy Spirit, who is our comforter and our guide. Lead us through this passage this day, Lord, in thy precious name. Amen. Amen. So back to verse 1, he says, likewise, wives. That word likewise there means equally, in the same way. So what he's doing is he's tying this to everything he said about following the human institutions and, and, and slaves obeying their, or, or being submissive to their masters and things. He's saying likewise. He's lumping this together in the same way. Be subject to your own husbands. We looked at that term subject. It's a military term. It means to willingly and voluntarily put yourself under the authority of another. That's what he's asking them to do. So Peter is speaking to Christian wives because he's writing this to the Christian church. He's writing to Christian wives who are commanded to voluntarily or willingly put themselves under the authority of their husbands. That's the, that's the base of it now. Then he goes on to say, so that even some of them, so that even some of them who do not obey the word, some of them who do not obey the word, now, I'm going to draw out here that I think what he's talking about here is those who are not saved. Some who are obeying are saved. Some who are not are unsaved. But the subject to doesn't change. So if you are, if you are married to one who is saved, or if you are married to someone who is not saved, this command to be subject to your own husband is the same is the same no matter what. And I put down there, um, I, I think the reason for this is the next line, that they may be one without a word. They may be one, one to what? One to go from group two to group one. One to be those who, do, who, who are now um, disobeying God's word, to be ones who obey God's word. And we see that in the scriptures here, in this passage of scripture, when you look at chapter 2, verse 8, um, when he says, In the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. He's talking about that group number two that do not believe. And then I think I also gave you chapter 4, verse 17. You'll have to jump ahead a little bit there. Chapter 4, verse 17 when it says, for a time of judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, I would insert there those who believe, if it begins with us, what is the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So that's the other side. So he is saying to Christian wives who are married to non-Christian husbands, unbelieving husbands, that they are to be subject to them, uh, that they may be one without a word. It doesn't mean that they won't say a word, but that their conduct, he just wants to raise that up. Your conduct is so important to this whole thing. And I keep going back to chapter 2, verse 12. It's kind of my favorite verse here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. You could, you could maybe change that. Keep your conduct uh, Christian-wise, among your unbelieving husbands, honorable, so that they may, that when they speak against you as evildoers, and I've been around a long time that I've seen where there's been a couple that one is married, one is a believer and one is not. And, I, and I've seen at times, at times that's a rough patch to go through. And sometimes it's, it's, it's a little ugly. And sometimes things are said toward that believing one that is tough to take kind of thing. But as they, when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see, see your good deeds or your conduct and glorify God on the day of visitation. What is the whole goal of this? Is that, that your husband, if you had an unbelieving husband, that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That on the day of visitation, that you're standing together before him, raising up your hands in glory to God. That's the reason. And he says, by the conduct of their wives. And I put down those verses there. You can look at them again. It's all through Peter. He says that we are to do good. Now, we do not do good to be saved. He's talking to people who are saved. Those who are saved, 
are to do good. We are to have this kind of conduct. So here's the big point. At times, God uses our conduct in his life-saving mission. That's a big point. At times, God uses our conduct in his life-saving mission. And that's what he's saying to these Christian wives. Uh, I can, I'm going to use your conduct in such a way to reach out to your unbelieving husband. So I need your conduct to be this way. Verse 2, when they see, uh, there's a lot of focus in 1 Peter about seeing, observing, watching. This is action being played out right in front of them. When they see, not when they hear you preach, right? When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Respectful is the same word as fear. And who is the only person we fear? We only fear God. And so, and pure conduct, pure is the same word as holy. And we know previously we are to be holy as who is holy? As he is holy. So here, wives, what he's asking you to do is to have that kind of what they are, they are seeing is, is your devotion to your God. Your devotion to your God. That's what they need to see. Big point, my submission is tied to my salvation from God. My submission is tied to my obedience to my God, my salvation. My obedience displayed by my conduct is because of God. That's why I asked Stephanie that question. Who's the first relationship in your life? And it wasn't me. Yeah, I think I've been three or four at times in our lives, way down there, well, way down the line, but Jesus has never been less than one. I mean, he's always been one in her life, in her life. And, and the reason she does what she does is because of her relationship with God, her relationship with God. Now, I always feel like I need to give a pause here because we're talking about marriage, talking about marriage. Here's the pause. The pause is, if you're going, if you are going into marriage, if you are going into marriage, that's the stage you're at. As a Christian, the Bible instructs us to marry only another Christian. That's what the Bible tells us to do. If you're a Christian and you're going into marriage, this is the instruction from the Bible to marry only another Christian. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, I put them up here. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, I know this passage doesn't say anything about specifically about marriage, but what it describes is the greatest relationship that we have outside of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So he says, don't be unoaked with young unbelievers for what partnership, and sometimes we call par marriage that, partnership, have righteousness with lawlessness. He wants you to see that mm -mm, over here and over here. A or what fellowship has light with darkness. He wants you to stretch right out like, what, these are on the opposite ends of the spectrum here. Or what harmony has Christ with Bial, or another word for Satan. Or wh what has a believer in common with an unbeliever. So Paul makes it very, very stresses it here that if you're going into marriage, if you're going into marriage and you are a Christian, you are to marry another Christian. Now, if you've never heard that before, I wanted to say it on tape. I wanted you to see it in the scriptures because that is what God's word says. Another one is 1 Corinthians 7.39, which says a wife is bound to as long to her husband as he lives. But if her husband has fallen asleep or her husband has died, that's what that means, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, and then he tags on there, only in the Lord. He wants the Christians to realize that this is very, very, very important. Going into this relationship, it needs to be another Christian. Okay? Here's the second pause. If you're a Christian and your spouse is not a Christian, the Bible instructs us that this is not biblical grounds for divorce. This is not biblical grounds for divorce. So these ladies have found themselves, they've come to faith in Jesus Christ, but their husband is not a Christian. Boy, it would really be great if he was. But this is not about grounds for biblical divorce to leave him to find another Christian. 1 Corinthians 7, 12 and 13. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, meaning the Lord didn't specifically speak to this, but Paul is speaking to it, and he's carried along by the Holy Spirit as he gives us God's word, that if a brother has a wife who's an unbeliever, she consents to live with him. 
he must not divorce her. He must not divorce her for that, just that sole purpose that she is not a believer. And if a woman who has, has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. So this specific thing right here, just because you are married to an unbeliever, is not biblical grounds for divorce. Now, there are biblical grounds for divorce given to us in the scriptures, but this is not one of them, not one of them. I always feel like I have to pause and, and, and lay that out there so that you understand what he's asking. Peter and Paul are both saying to those that are in this scenario, in this situation, they're not telling them to run away. No, they're telling them to stick in there and that their conduct would be so beautiful that even without a word, even though you will have an opportunity to give a word, even without a word, that your mate would come to know Jesus Christ. That's what he's driving him toward. Back to our passage, verse 3. So he says, do not let your adornment be external. Don't let your adornment be just external. And then he gives some examples, cultural examples of that day, the braiding of hair, the putting on gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. Now, it doesn't mean that women wouldn't braid their hair or put on jewelry because of that last statement. Yeah, we don't want you to braid hair, we don't want you to wear gold jewelry, and we don't want you to wear clothes. Yeah, you're supposed to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it throws that in there to realize that, wait a minute, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the cultural things of that day that they were trying to, that they would use to win their man. I'm going to try to win over my man by man's ways. And it's interesting that some of those things are still true today. Some of those things are still true in our society today. There's a whole big industry about hair. There's a whole big industry about gold. There's a whole big industry about clothing and everything. But, but he says, don't, you're not going to win over your husband with those external things. What does he say to do? Here's the positive side, but let your adornment be... And where does he go? To the hidden person of the heart. You go from what's external to what's internal. And who's the one who knows our heart? God knows our heart. With the imperishable beauty. Now he's making a distinction here. He says what man values, the, the, the hair, the gold, and the clothing, that will all pass away. But what, what I give you is imperishable never passes away, of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle meaning mild in disposition. Quiet meaning you hold it close into your hands. Your spirit is close to you, that, that, it, that it just resonates out of you, that comes there. And as I said, it's not that you will never say a word, because in chapter 3, if we go a little farther ahead, chapter verses 15 and 16, it says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Okay, when you do that, you're going to use words. You're going to use words, yet, yet do it with gentleness and respect. There are those words again. Gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior, there's your conduct again in Christ, may be put to shame may be put to shame. Of you, But let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And I love it when he uses the word precious because earlier, who is precious? The stone that he placed in Zion is chosen and precious. When he uses that word, he talk, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about his one and only son. And he says, when you live this way, in God's sight, it is precious, very, very precious. And I put down there 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. You can read that just again to be able to go to Paul and see that Paul echoes some of the same things that Peter is saying. And here's the big point. What's your attention ratio to what lasts forever? What's your attention ratio to what lasts forever? So am I, am I putting more attention 
on the externals or am I putting more intention on the internals? Where is it? And I know we're kind of pointing fingers at women right now, but this goes both ways, right, guys? Because we can do the same thing. We can, we can put so much emphasis on the externals rather than on the internals. We're, we're getting to the guys here. Verse 5, for this is how holy women. Now, this should not surprise you that once Peter gives an instruction, what does he do? He backs it up by Scripture. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, who hoped in God, so he's pointing them back to the Old Testament. He's pointing back to a pre-chapter uh, 1, verse 3. The, we are saved to a living hope. We are born again, caused to be born again to a living hope. These are ones who had hope in God, the God of the covenants, who, who would bring a new covenant named Jesus Christ. Those who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. That word adorn. This is how they put themselves in order. This is how they arranged themselves. This is how they made ready themselves. This is how they prepared themselves. And then he says, by submitting to their own husbands. So what Peter does is he points back to the Old Testament. He says, this is how it was done in the Old Testament. This has been around a while. This principle of being subject to one another. So then he gives a specific example as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, lots of times when we think about Abraham and Sarah um, and their relationship with one another, lots of times we go to that time when Abraham was afraid that uh, the king might do something bad to him, so he tells Sarah to, to say you're my sister. And, and it gets him in a whole bunch of trouble and everything else. Usually that's what we think of is that that situation that was like a wrong situation. But Peter is not talking about that situation. He says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, the only place that we have this recorded is in Genesis chapter 18, starting at verse 9, when, she, when Sarah calls Abraham Lord. Uh, the three visitors have come to Abraham they're reiterating the covenant that has been given to Abraham. They're reiterating that he's going to have a that there's going to be he's going to be of many nations. So in verse nine it says, "Where's your wife Sarah?" They ask him. And they're in the tent. He said, "That's what Abraham said." Then the Lord said, "I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son." So he gives the birth announcement that ahead of time, that they're going to have a son, and we know that son would be Isaac, okay? Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind them, then some things given here to show that this was impossible, or thought to be impossible. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So this would be an impossible task for her to have a child. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed at herself. She laughed at within herself. She was chuckling in some, <laughs> yeah, right, 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 yeah. As she heard this, after I am, and she says to her, her thought, she says this inside of her head, after I am worn out and my master or my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now, there's a lot of the sovereignty of God that's being played out in this passage because next, what comes next is he points out, yeah, she laughed. And, and she goes, uh-uh. Well, God even knows when you laugh inside. And he even knows the words that you say inside your head kind of thing. But, but the point here is that when it was a chuckling situation, when she was chuckling inside, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you're going to come back next year and I'm going to have a son. And have you seen my husband? He is an old dude. I mean, this, this ain't happening kind of thing. Even when she's chuckling about this, even when she's kind of uh, just dismissing this, she still calls Abraham Lord. She still gives him that title of respect, my master or my Lord. She still gives that to him even when she's in a chuckling mood about it. Now, Stephanie, have I ever been an idiot? <laughs> yes. yes. 
have I ever have I ever um, brought things up that were just like way out there? Yes, she says I'm sitting here right now. This is a way out there kind of thing. Yeah, but but at the same time, Sarah continued to give the even when her husband had messed up, blown it at times. She still gave him the respect of calling him Lord. Now, we wouldn't do that today. We wouldn't call our husbands Lord. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. But, you would, but, but you've probably got your word, right, for him. Do you, Kate, do you have a word for John? Yeah, you've got a few. Okay. Yeah, that, that doesn't leave. He says, and you are her children if you do good. There it is again. That's the conduct coming out again. And do not fear anything that is frightening. Here's where it ties it back to God again. Uh, Who do we fear? We only fear God. We only fear God. So big point here. Peter bases all instruction on God's words. Okay, so let's get to the guys. Likewise, husbands. Likewise, husbands. Equally in the same way. Uh, For the Lord's sake. Everything that has been said before, guys, all heaped on top of this. Now let me add a little more. That's what Peter's saying. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in a knowing way. Some of these wives, of course, could be unbelievers. They could be unbelievers. And he's saying to them, you need to be a student of her. You need to know her. Now, I've had plenty of marital um, counseling sessions with couples And look at the guy, and the guy does not know his wife. He does not know her. He is still so stuck on himself and stuck on his world that he does not know his wife. And and the scripture is saying here, we are to know our wives. We know them maybe better than ourselves. And so we... We live with our lives in a knowing way, an understanding way, showing honor. There's an action there that's a conduct that I'm showing value of who she is to me. That's the start, guys. You show her that there's a value of her to you, to you. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now he's going to do two different things here. He's first going to talk physically and when I say the weaker vessel, he's talking about this, the, the biological way that we are made up, the, the way uh, all across the board, this is, this is how God made man and this is how God made woman. And so as a man, we need to show honor to her as the woman of the weaker vessel. But don't get to this point where you're going, oh, <laughs> man, yeah, yeah, she's the weaker vessel because I'm the stronger vessel. No, you look at that and go, if she's the weaker vessel, what am I? I'm a weak vessel. I'm a weak vessel. She's just weaker. Don't, don't pump yourself up like you're the he-man kind of thing. Because if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, this treasure we have in jars of clay. Yeah, oh, broke it in. Kind of thing. Yeah, no, no. We, 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 we are not the strong. We are never the strong one. God is the strong one. We are always the weak ones. But he says, she's the weaker vessel. Be understanding of that, guys. I mean, you should be doing double. Okay? We should be doing double. Understanding, knowing that. Being ready there with your two hands and your arms to do whatever needs to be done. So we know we're that way physically, okay? And then he goes to the second one, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, this one takes you into the spiritual realm because in that day, women were thought of as property. What Peter and Paul are saying here is he's doing a whole paradigm shift on women because women were property. Women were, could be discarded very easily. And Peter and Paul are raising this up and going, but what? yet they physically, they may be weaker, and you need to, as if you're married to them, you need to compensate for that, okay? But spiritually, they are co-heirs. They are equal with you. They, they are not nothing less when it comes to the salvation 
that they have received from the Lord. They're the same, that, that they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They may be different, weaker, but they're heirs. They're heirs with you. They're fellow heirs. They're joint heirs. And you can go Galatians 3, 29, uh, male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, but all are one, all are one in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's how he ends it, that they may not be cut into. So guys, you should not be surprised that if you don't know your wife and, and, and you're not caring for her in a physical way and you're not caring for her in a spiritual way, realizing that, wait a minute, she, she, we, we walk together this, this faith that we have. You think God's going to answer your prayers? You think God's going to hear your prayers? I think he won't because the first, what he's going to say to you is, hey, <laughs> start doing this. Start doing this, and then, yeah, maybe I'll listen to it. The point, my conduct, conduct with my wife affects my prayers. And that should rattle each one of us men. Is there, are there things that in our conduct to our wife that need to be corrected? Are there things that need to be corrected? Because that is in direct relationship to your communication with your God. Okay? Let me go back over these big points and we're finished. My conduct matters to gospel outreach. My conduct matters to gospel outreach. My conduct matters to gospel outreach of this body of believers, of this church. My conduct is bathed in obedience to God's word. My conduct is bathed in obedience to God's word. I obey because I am to be holy as my father is holy. And so these things that I do is because of my relationship with God. My conduct, it needs to be based on what is eternal, on what's eternal. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in what's temporal and get so stuck there. And it happens at times. I've got stories about playing too much golf to the point that I was swinging a nine iron in the kitchen practicing my grip, the phone rang. When the phone rang, I was in mid-swing. And I brought the club down, hit the Formica, and cracked the Formica. Stephanie wasn't home at the time. And I was just like, oh, what? Am I, how am I going to explain that? To realize that sometimes you can get wrapped up in the wrong stuff. Not that you never play golf again, okay? But you can get wrapped up in what is temporal instead of eternal. My conduct should be based on what God has said. And because what have God has said, we can confidently say. And my conduct affects my communication with God. Now let me finish it with this. There are times when we blow it in our conduct. I have. But we have a God who tells us what to do when we blow it. We have a God who tells us what we, he instructs us on what to do when we blow it in our conduct. He says, go back to that person, go to that situation, ask for forgiveness, um, and, and he forgives. And so I really encourage you that if you feel like this morning that you have um, blown it at times, God already instructs you on what to do. He's given that to you. And the second thing this morning is that if this resonates with you this morning, you're hearing this and you're going, you know what? I, my, my eyes are being opened up to this morning about this God. My eyes are being opened up this morning. My heart is being warmed. I realize that, wait, this is more than just some instruction. This is, this is eternal stuff and this is coming from God to us. If that's you this morning, I would, I mean, this is what you will do. If you were one of his sheep and you are hearing his voice, this is what you will do. You will repent. You will turn and start walking in his footsteps. You will believe that he is the one and only. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father by me. You will believe that. And you will, you will, you will rise up from that point 
and say, I'm going to walk in his footsteps. And I'm going to proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I'm going to strive to walk in the footsteps of my master, my Lord, named Jesus Christ. So I pray that if that's you this morning, reach out to someone that you know that, that loves the Lord and let them know that you're, you're taking a step with Jesus today. If you don't have anybody like that, seek me out. I'd love to be able to pray with you and help you, just guide you to keep taking steps with Jesus. We call that discipleship. Keep taking steps with Jesus because he's calling out to you. So let's stand for prayer. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and our opportunity to be in your house. And uh, it, This is a passage of scripture that it gets right down to the nitty gritty, especially when in the marriage relationship. And I pray that we would um, take to heart what Peter is saying, what God is saying through his word, that our obedience would be because of our relationship with you and none other. It's not because someone is demanding it uh, on an earthly level. It's because we, we have a higher master who has called us to live this kind of a life I pray that both husbands and wives have been challenged this morning. In thy precious name, amen. Amen. Let's sing this final song. I want that to keep going, you know, just like we're going to do someday. We can do it here. So great word today, Adam. You know, being subject to somebody is a difficult task. Wives, it's hard. Husbands, it's hard. As a body, it's hard. But I'm going to take you to Romans 12. And um, in this verse out of Romans 12 too, this is our challenge. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen? All right. So, this section here before you leave take your uh, bibles throw them up on the chairs because we're going to transform that side for second service know that you're all invited to do prayer over here and then in the library the elders will be back there if you have any questions about where we're going in the future which we gave you a letter this week you should have received and what we asked of, of told you last week we're going to be out there in the back so if you got questions come and ask us have a great day amen